The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, let's get into our final conversation of the day. And we're looking at our health feature, particularly focusing on depression among cancer survivors. And we know that being diagnosed with cancer and being a survivor can be a very emotional experience. It takes its toll. And, you know, the the, the, the various uh, phases that one goes through from the point of, uh, you know, being diagnosed, being able to accept that diagnosis, but also the treatment that comes as a result of that. And we now are living with a situation where more than 30% of cancer patients in South Africa have been diagnosed with depression. Dr. Michelle King is a specialist psychiatrist and a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. Dr. King, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time today. And Kathy, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. It's such an important conversation to have Often, especially when we look at diseases like cancer, we can become so preoccupied with the disease itself um, and the treatment of the disease, what it does to the body, that we forget that there is a human that is going through a human experience and that naturally has its toll on their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yes. Let's talk about where we are in South Africa. I, I, I've just read that statistic of over 30% of, 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 of cancer patients have been diagnosed with depression. That is a, a big red flag, a, a big concern. It is definitely. I think for me, one of the, the biggest concerns is just a lack of awareness. You know, so many people and unfortunately healthcare professionals have this belief that it's okay, you should be depressed, you, you're facing death, you know, you have this illness that, that, that's just terrifying, you know. And so thinking that it's normal, people don't get treatment or even your, your doctor may not initiate treatment or, or even ask about depression because there's this whole misconception that, oh, yeah, well, I mean, you have a reason to be depressed. But depression is a, is a mental illness. It, it's not a normal human emotion. You know, we talk about hum- normal emotions. It's being sad and it's being angry and it's being fearful and it's being anxious. That's okay. We're not going to put you on medication just for feeling normal emotion. But when you're depressed, it, it takes away your ability to, to be present, you know. And not only that, it's going to have an effect on your, your treatment and your cancer and on your relationships with the people that, that love you and, and want to be with you and, and you know, your quality of life as well. Do you think that part of the part of the reason why um, the the awareness around it is 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 not as as big as as perhaps you'd want to see it is because depression is also a highly misunderstood disease, um, and that when people think about depression, they just think like you're saying, "Oh, I'm down. I'm just feeling a little bit." depressed for today and even the way that we talk about it right we don't Mm. see it as being a disease we just see it as being a temporary uh, state of mind very much yes so so one there's this huge stigma about being depressed you know we don't we don't talk about it right we keep our feelings inside we're stoic we we don't express our emotion or tell people how bad it is and I think on, on the one hand, being the person living with cancer, it might be not wanting to burden people even more, you know, by telling them, I'm actually not coping. I, things 
I struggle to get out of bed in the morning. I don't even want to go to my doctor's appointment because they don't want you as their loved one to worry even more or, or be even more anxious, right? So that, that false idea that if I tell people I'm not coping, they're going to feel worse. So I don't want to burden them. I'm, I'm going to keep it to myself. Um, and then, like you said, on the other hand, there's this almost, it's, it's the way that we speak and, and we use the word depression as if it's an emotion, you know, like it was the same as sadness. But it's not, when, when you're clinically depressed, you, you have this pervasive feeling of not being able to cope, of, of feeling hopeless or, or worthless or just having these overwhelming feelings of guilt the whole time. So it's not something you can just shake off and feel better about. You know, I think sadness, we can do things to, to feel better or distract ourselves. But depression, it's, it's a whole different feeling um, that, than just having a bad day. What, what, what is it that you've learned from the patients that you also would deal with that are, you know, that, that are being treated for cancer that have been diagnosed with cancer? So you, the people with suffering with depression and with cancer, is yes, that your question? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so what we're seeing definitely, if one, especially if it hasn't been treated or it hasn't been diagnosed yet, patients who are suffering from depression and living with an illness like cancer, it makes them, it makes it more difficult to access treatment, right? So frequently people may not be compliant with the, the medications being prescribed or they may not go to their doctor for follow-up. Um, it can also have an impact on the physical illness itself. So unfortunately, what we see, if you're depressed and have a, an illness like cancer, it does lead to much higher rates of morbidity and mortality. So it can increase the, it can worsen your, your physical illness as well. And we often see certain symptoms almost being exacerbated by the depression. So people with pain will experience far greater levels of pain because they're depressed. Or um, if you're, I mean, frequently with, with cancer, we, we, people experience fatigue, whether it's due to the cancer or the side effects of treatment. But when you're depressed, that fatigue worse. Right? It really just makes one more difficult to cope with. Um, so, I mean, at I, I, the extreme, if we're not true, it can lead to thoughts of suicide, or, or we see people wanting death to come quickly. You know, so they start asking about euthanasia or asking they do to, to bring death closer. And worse, you know, people commit suicide because they're just not coping. And for me, that's just heartbreaking. How do you help um, patients navigate that, that terrain? Again, because if if the prognosis is not good, then... If you tell somebody, well, you know, don't worry, you'll get better. But when they look at their situation and, and, mm -hmm. and they look at what their prognosis is, they know that in reality, they, they're likely to not get better. And in, yeah. they're likely to, to end up losing their lives. So how do you help somebody navigate navigate their way through that? And, and I think also... For, for, for families and for loved ones that are also having to walk the journey with, with patients? Mm. So I, I do feel very strongly that um, people should be accessing palliative care from the time that they receive a diagnosis of, of cancer or a life-limiting illness. Because 
people trained in palliative care know how to have these difficult conversations about death and about dying and they're not afraid to have those conversations right so engaging with the palliative care provider gives you and your family just that additional layer of support to navigate this journey you know because like you said it's it's hard and it's it's scary because this is death now right? you've got a name to what's potentially going to kill you and, and that's scary but it's about okay well how do we start having these conversations maybe with our kids? How do we tell our kids that, you know, we've got cancer and this is going to kill us? So having someone who's trained in having those conversations can really, really lift that burden, you know, and then you're feeling you're not alone. You've got someone who is supporting you and they know how to um, give you the treatment that you need, whether it's helping you with the emotional stuff or even helping you with all the physical symptoms. Um, yeah, and, and so palliative care is not just about treating the patients, it's about treating the whole family. And I think that kind of service really goes in a long way in giving you that support. Because like you said, how do we create hope when you know you've got this thing that's going to cause your death? And I think there's another way to approach that, and it's about realizing you're not dead now. You still have this journey to go on. And it can be beautiful. It's going to be sad. <laughs> it's going to be sad. But it can still be this beautiful journey and experience. It, it doesn't have to be this experience where you're so depressed that you can't be with the people who love you and who want to be with you. Let's talk about the treatment options that are available. Because, again, once um, you have a clinical diagnosis of depression, it also opens um, different treatment avenues. And when it comes to medication, given the fact that uh, cancer patients would also be uh, having to take medication for all sorts of um, other uh, uh, their symptoms, including having mm -hmm. to take, having to undergo chemotherapy, radiation, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you approach that? So I think it, it differs from, from person to person. And like you said, if you're having chemotherapy and you're just exhausted all the time, certain types of options are going to be really hard to access. So, I mean, and the other thing, it's going to depend on how severe your depression is. So, so when you're severely depressed and you're having suicidal thoughts, medication does become one of the first-line treatments. So we would use the antidepressants. Um, but therapy plays such an important role as well, especially if your depression's mild, you know, you're not just going to go for medication first line, you're going to start with some type of therapy. Um, so that would be working with your psychologist and they would then choose what kind of therapy would be suitable for you. Um, but I think a big part of therapy is about just helping you find meaning in your life again. Because like you said, right in the beginning, you get so focused on the illness and, and you know, people always use these words like fighting the cancer and you know, this battle that you're going on, that you forget that you're still a person. You, you still have this life and these people around you. So therapy is really great at just helping you redefine your values with knowing what's going to kill you. I know that yeah. sounds quite nah. harsh, but mm. it's the reality when we're dealing with cancer, it does lead to death. Um, and then medication plays a huge role. And I think one can do it in a way that it's not in conflict with your, your, your chemotherapy or, or with your other treatments. So one does have to be careful in terms of what antidepressants you're choosing, because there are ones that would be contraindicated, for example, if you're on tamoxifen. Um, 
but there are antidepressants that actually are, are helpful for treating chronic pain too. So it, it can offer dual support in a way like that. It, it is generally a, a difficult conversation uh, to, to navigate, Dr. King. I want to go mm. to Cape Town. Ngonde, good morning to you. Ngonde. Oh, Ngonde. I will, I, I will premise, premise my contribution on cancer. All right. Specifically. And then, secondly, mild depression associated with cancer. Katie, these types of cancers has befallen my family. Sadly, all the members have passed away. Testicular cancer, if I can call it that, prostate cancer, breast cancer, you mention it, right? And I'm afraid because they are in the lower LSM, right? Not like your colleagues, which I won't mention in SAFM, who also succumb to cancer hasn't been exposed to treatment by the best doctors, right? And I remember one of them mentioning that the pills, you know, of a, of a cancer was costing very much. So it mm-hmm. appears to me that the treatment of cancer basically delays the eventuality, right? Your prolonged sickness will eventually lead, you know, to death, unfortunately. And I want to find out if your guest is aware of a research, sounds hopeful to me, done in Oxford University, but by the blood. They can take your blood, and then from your blood, they can detect, right, what type of cancer you will be predisposed to. Katie, thank you very much. All right, thanks for that, Ngonde, out in Cape Town. Dr. King, do you want to answer that question? So um, I'm not quite sure exactly which which test one um, our caller was referring to, but yeah, definitely there are certain types of cancer that are genetic that one can actually go for blood tests to find out if you've got that predisposition to getting that cancer. Doesn't mean that you will get that cancer just because you have that gene. Um, there are other te- blood tests that we can do, um, you know, specifically for prostate cancer that could be an early marker to show that you know, you need to go see your doctor. So it would be more of a screening tool than than to make the diagnosis. But yeah, I I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is to to have lost so many family members and, you know, have feeling that you spend so much money, like you said, you you spend all this money and all these expensive treatments, to what end? So I think a very important part, especially in terms of people who are able to provide palliative care, is to have those conversations. Like, is this treatment really worth it? If you're only getting an extra two weeks of life and you've spent millions of rands on this medication, was it worth it? You know, I'm not saying don't go for your cancer treatment, but have that conversation about how much more time will this give me? You know, because if you're only getting two weeks and you spent all your family's money, that you die and you're leaving the family in debt, mm. you, you need to be having those difficult conversations. All right. But my, yeah, my heart goes out to, to our caller to have lost so many relatives. It, it can't be easy. Yeah. Dr. King, I'm going to ask you to pause it there. We're taking the latest headlines. We'll continue with this conversation. Kathy Motlatana on SAFM. 
We continue the conversation on our health feature today and we're looking at um, depression in particular amongst cancer survivors or uh, patients that are undergoing treatment for, for cancer. And Dr. Michelle King is with the South African Society of Psychiatrists and joins us as part of this conversation. Just going back to that call by Ngonde, uh, Dr. King, it also, for me, speaks to the 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 emotional toll that families go through. Um, I, I wonder how he also is doing after having mm-hmm. lost so many family members uh, to cancer. And I know that often we focus on on the patients, but we really do, do need support across the board. Oh, I agree completely. And I think you know, the psychiatrist. This is how often I meet people who, who, who are affected by cancer because so often it's it's the death of their loved one that hasn't been dealt with or, or the grief has just become too much and that has led them to to becoming depressed and that they start to see me so it's got a huge impact i agree and if, if we look at that, that number of 30 percent that's just the the person who's living with cancer who's being diagnosed with that we're not even looking statistically as what is the impact of cancer and losing loved ones to cancer um, on everyone else, you know, on their family. We, we don't have statistics which look at that. Let me go to Sig in Randburg. Sig, good morning. Uh, good morning. I wanted to ask if, uh, on the one hand, you have uh, depression uh, having a detrimental effect on your immune system. Uh, and in other words, uh, you will get cancer and heart and 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 uh, vascular disease from being depressed and anxious uh, which is entirely emotional really i would have thought the origin is is that correct and the other question i have is uh, is depression not the very thing that teenagers school children uh, uh, have when they uh, are being bullied to to the point of suicide or mm. uh, 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 when they fail their exams when they don't live up to their own expectations when we and some some of us feel that we should do so much better and i in fact once worked myself to death uh, virtually from a heart attack uh, uh, so you have self-inflicted, uh, a self-inflicted uh, uh, dilemma that is destroying your health, and uh, uh, yeah, is that not what it's all about? And really, is that not does not does that not make it entirely emotional? Sure. Okay. So there's there's a couple of stuff we need to unpack in the, those questions that you've asked. So the the first thing is um, definitely. Depression has an effect on our immune system. So there is an immune response going on. And we do see because of that, that if you have cancer, that that immune response can actually lead to a worsening or a progression of your cancer. It's not to say, though, that there is a link between depression and cancer, or, or we have not proven one as yet. But definitely being depressed with cancer can worsen your cancer. Um, then your other question was, does depression have an effect on heart conditions and, and um, chronic medical conditions? And definitely it does. So we do see much higher rates of, of depression in people living with chronic medical conditions. And in fact, after having a heart attack, one in 10 people will 
experience depression afterwards. So there is this very, um, I want to say, intimate link between our immune reaction or immune response and depression. Um, then you're asking about bullying and, and teenage suicide. Definitely, I, th I think we, we're not diagnosing, we're not picking up our teenagers who are struggling with depression, who are battling with, with bullying or, or um, you know, even so being bullying on, on or cyberbullying. It's a huge problem. Um, so, yeah, I agree. It's something we, we do need to be more aware of. But I'm pretty sure that, um, Kathy, you'd, you'd like to do a talk on that <laughs> all on its own. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, just to, just to answer, there is a huge relationship between stress and, and um, our mental illness or our mental well-being. Yeah. I think SIG was also perhaps trying to further understand the physical impact of depression. So when you cite research that shows that um, those that are suffering from in depression feel more pain, why would they feel yeah. more pain if, um, you know, some pain is just caused by, by cancer? So why do we feel more pain when we're depressed? Okay, yes, yes. so there, there is such an intimate link between depression and, and, and pain in itself. And there's a whole host of reasons. The one is pain, especially, especially chronic pain and depression, share certain neurotransmitters in common. So specifically, we're looking at our serotonin and noradrenaline. When those levels are low, we can experience or become depressed and anxious. But lower levels of those two neurotransmitters also change the way we experience pain. Okay. Then the other reason why there's an overlap is there's certain areas in our brain that are involved with pain and our experience of pain, but also involved with how we experience or, or with our mood and how we respond to, to stress and physical sensations. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's something that's so yeah. intimately linked. So 50% yeah. so of people who are depressed will go on to develop chronic pain. And 50% of people living with chronic pain will develop depression. So it's this very, very sure. intimate link between the two. And, yeah. and, 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 and it's not something that is imagined. Uh, is is no, is, is no. what Sig uh, w was trying to highlight that you know because he says mm. it, it's emotional. So because you're yeah. in this emotional state, you then imagine that what you're feeling is perhaps worse than what it actually is. Well, no, I, I think your your experience is how you experience it. And the, the example I always give to people: it's most of us have kids or, or, or no kids or have grandkids, right? So if you take your little toddler at a birthday party and she comes up to you and she's like, oh, mommy, I need to have more cake. And you're like, sweetie pie, you've had three slices of cake. I think we need to take it easy. And you can just see her little face drop, right? And as she leaves you with that heartbreak, she, she knocks her little elbow against the, the dining room table. And because she's already so sad, her experience of that little knock is so intense. You know, she, she falls on the floor and in absolute tears and writhing with agony. So it's not that she's putting it on. She was so sad when she left you. That experience of pain was magnified. But if you take that same little toddler who's happy playing at the birthday party and she's running around in the jungle gym and she comes inside to get some water and you see like her toe is spurting blood and you say to her, oh my gosh, what did you do? And she's like, mommy, what? And you say, your toe. And it's only that moment when she sees her toes spurting blood that she experiences the pain.
right? And that's when she starts screaming. So our mood has got a huge impact on how we experience pain. Yeah, what a beautiful analogy. I, 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 understand. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I understand what you say. <laughs> Mrs. S. in Durban, good morning. Yes. Yes, good morning. I would like to speak to Dr. King about uh, the cancer in the liver. It's a very close, very, very close family member of mine that was diagnosed last year, the 25th of October. And uh, he didn't remove the, the kidney, reason being, it's, uh, what if it spreads onto other parts of the body? Mm-hmm. So he's on treatment at the moment and um, very expensive medication, as the other caller had said. You know, and he's getting uh, a two. T- it takes two tablets in the morning, and now he's gone for the intravenous drug, and he's lost lost about twenty kilos. And his hair's mm-hmm. gone great. The hair in his hands and legs and body and everything is great. And he's got two little toddlers. So my concern mm-hmm. is, what are his chances like? Oh, I, I cannot comment on that with, without being you know, actively involved in his treatment. But I do think, you know, given, like you said, he's, he's got two toddlers and he's really not doing well at the moment. If you can, will you add, find what I'm saying? Yeah. If, if you can, will you? Mrs. S, is is there something else that you want to say? Because my advice is going to be maybe that you listen on the radio, especially if you're struggling to hear her. Oh, okay. Uh, they asked you in the last scan, there were a few spots on the kidney and the lung. Okay. All right, Mrs. Mm-hmm. S, I think just listen on the radio as, as Dr. King then gives the answer. Okay. All right, Dr. King. So the comment, yeah. that, the comment that I wanted to make is I can't give her any advice about her, her, her loved one because I'm not her treating doctor, but I can hear she's got questions and, and there's two little toddlers being affected as well and maybe it's to go and reach out you know to some palliative care providers in her area that she could engage with and and have them help her and and, um her loved one and and the kids on this journey because i can hear she's got all these questions and there are people who will be able to to work with them and help them with those answers help them find those answers and that I think what you're saying there is is also uh, is very important that you know you sort of have to b- bring the entire family along and mm. and not be afraid to to have those conversations difficult as it may be especially with his two young children um, mm. but but mm. have those conversations as a family and also start to talk about what will life look like right what does life look like yeah. beyond. Um, his his presence on this earth, they, you know, they, they, mm. there's a sort of preparation that 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 can take place, difficult as it may be, difficult as as it may be. Uh, Stimela uh, sent through a message and says, uh, "Good morning. I have depression and it's very hard. I don't sleep at night, um, but I don't have cancer, but I'm very sick." after I lost mm. my wife through family problems, um, what advice would you have for somebody like that? So definitely reach out and get help. Um, you can go see your chat to your doctor and he would then be able to refer you to a psychiatrist if needed. And if he felt it wasn't um, something that, that needed looking at, at, at um, medication or assessment by a psychiatrist, he may be able to put you in contact with a psychologist um, because it does sound like that there's definitely an element of grief as well as the depression going on there. 
where where can people go? What advice do you have um, for for people, especially those who who say that that they are suffering from depression? or may have mm-hmm. family members that are undergoing treatment. I don't think cancer is the only disease um, mm-hmm. that breeds depression. We know that depression in and of itself is, is, is such a big illness that, that many people are struggling with quietly. So the one option would be to, to go speak to your GP and get him to refer you to a psychiatrist or, or psychologist if needed. Um, if you are diagnosed with cancer or another life-limiting illness or a loved one is, Palprac has a website with a list of service providers in your area that you would then be able to reach out to them. Um, there's also certain support groups online like SADAG. Uh, they have a, a suicide helpline or crisis line as well. And then there are also certain support groups for people living with cancer. Uh, there's Buddies for Life. They've got a great list of resources on their website as well as offering support. So yeah, but if, if you're not sure, start with your GP. Go chat with them and he'll be able to put you in contact with the right treating person. All right, Dr. King, let me thank you uh, so much. Before I let you go, is there anything else that uh, you may want to add? Oh, I, I think the biggest thing is if you are diagnosed with, with cancer or a life-limiting illness or, or, like you said, as a survivor and still living in fear and that you, you've stopped being present in your life, get help. You know, I know that, like you said, it's hard and it's scary, but it doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to do this alone. But it definitely is about reaching out and asking for that help. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Michelle King, a specialist psychiatrist and member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. She also brings us to the end of the talking point for today. Of course, we're back with you tomorrow, Thursday. Tomorrow we'll have the Auditor General on. We're going to be uh, looking at the latest latest report and uh, looking into the state of municipalities. So uh, looking forward to that conversation and, of course, uh, plenty more as we do every single day. For now, we're going to leave you with the book reading and we kick off... A new read today, Lessons from the Boot of a Car.